And now to tell us more about miracles, we have a message from our master, our, our, our pastor, the split a sermon called Through Lessons from Three Miracles by Jesus. Mr. Gregory. <coughs> On the day of Pentecost, in 31 AD, Peter said this about Jesus, as it's recorded in Acts, second chapter, verse 22. Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as yourselves also know. What is a miracle? What's the difference between a true miracle and a false miracle? What lessons can we learn from miracles? Now, even though they frequently occur together, our focus will not be so much on signs and wonders which would require a much longer study to fully analyze and examine the Hebrew and the Greek words that are translated miracles, signs, and wonders. Although miracles, signs, and wonders are used sometimes interchangeably in the English from the original language. So if you're in your study, you'll see that uh, miracles, signs, and wonders sometimes mean the same thing from the same root beginning word. Now. A wonder causes uh, surprise or astonishment, amazement at something wonderful that occurs. A sign is a special event showing the will of God or confirming his authority in doing that event. Now, miracle is our subject today. So we're not going to spend much time focusing on signs and confirming uh, signs and wonders accompanying the word miracle. So, what is a miracle? Now, I have two dictionary definitions that uh, will agree with the scriptures. The first is from Webster's Dictionary. A miracle, an event or effect in the physical world deviating from the known laws of nature or transcending our knowledge of these laws. And from the American Heritage Dictionary, a miracle is identified as an extraordinary or unusual event that is considered to be a manifestation of divine or supernatural powers. Now, when a greater or higher force than usual is in operation, then a change occurs, creating a new effect, like Jesus walking on water. That was a miracle. Because gravity didn't cause him to sink down into the water. So he overcame that force of gravity by walking on the water. So a miracle took place. A lot of things today in the world are called miracles that aren't really miracles. They're just happenings that uh, are, for example, 
uh, a person in the water floating or swimming. That's not a miracle. That's just using that inertia and that force to overcome gravity. When a plane falls in the ocean, it doesn't sink to the bottom because of other laws of flotation and the size of the plane and the wings and the air. And so there's different things like flying an airplane, the inertia and the momentum overcoming using certain laws of physics, chemistry, science, many times uh, in different uh, applications to overcome some of these laws. So uh, a lot of things that appear to be, for example, you know, I could say, you know what? I'm going to project the Bible words on the screen here. But if I didn't tell you about this camera projector up here, or Brian coding them in the computer, sending the signal up here, it would appear to be if I took a lying sign and wonder say, you know, but I'd be lying, wouldn't I? I'd be twisting it around. But people who lived several hundred years ago, this would be miraculous. It would almost be like a miracle. But we're using certain laws, electricity and electronics, to project through this projector up here, to put those words on the screen. And that's not a miracle, is it? It's just an ordinary happening. But if we did this without the camera, without the computer, if, it, if we did it without any of those forces and God initiated, then we would say, that's a miracle. So, since we uh, have uh, different things going on and uh, all forces, energy, power, life, things, laws, etc., originate from God, then he who is supreme power and authority is over all creation. We know that from the scriptures. He upholds, he sustains, he upholds all things by the word of his power in heaven and earth, and all is subject to his will. Then when a change occurs that is extraordinary, above and beyond those laws, then a miracle is possible. Now, I'm not going to focus a lot today on false miracles, uh, although we'll look at it briefly, on lying signs and wonders, because we want to be careful. Like Jesus said, we don't want to be deceived. We want to know and be able to identify, because we know, brethren, uh, as we're studying the scriptures, we're entering into a period of life where more and more of God's intervention, where we're going to see some true miracles occurring. And we're going to see some lying wonders and miracles and signs. And so we want to be careful not to be deceived. So it'll help us maybe as we uh, go through this to see the verification of uh, true miracles. This is important. Personal observation or experience, written or spoken testimony. Now this is confirmed by the Bible, by Jesus, by the apostles, by others down through the history that have uh, confirmed up to today that uh, the occurrence or the happening or the event was truly from God and it agrees with His Word. Their testimony must base, be based on facts, must be based on the will of God, must be based on their character and godly results, or it's to be rejected as a lying sign or wonder. Now, let's go to Mark, the 16th chapter.
Verse 19 and 20. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and set on the right hand of God, where he is today. And they, the disciples, went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. And this same word signs is the same word that is so frequently translated as miracles and is translated in other English words. You can, you can do word study on that. Amen. So be it. And so there are confirming and true signs and true wonders that uh, let's look at another scripture and go back to the Old Testament in Isaiah, the eighth chapter. We're just going to look necessary at this point uh, for our message to just speak briefly about this in uh, Isaiah the 8th chapter verse 20 to the law and to the testimony if they speak not according to this word it is because there's no light in them now Jesus said in Matthew 24 24 that uh, in the end time, for there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders. This is in the approaching end of this age. Insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So here is something to just keep. If we see someone saying, oh, this is a miracle of God. This is a, this is a miracle. Then we want to be careful does it line up with the Word of God? Does it line up with what Jesus said? Does it line up with what uh, the Scriptures say, the law and the testimony? If it doesn't, reject it. Because there can be events and extraordinary things happen that uh, may not be miraculous but attributed to miracle. For example, let me read something to you from... Uh, I had this many years ago, and I'm not going to mention a name, but I want to read this... Uh, about this uh, particular, particular person when he was young, uh, young and a minister. Then he had another experience that changed his life. He went to hear a woman preacher talk on the subject. If you ever see Jesus, you'll never be the same again. The next morning, Jesus Christ walked into my bedroom, the man said. He didn't walk on the floor, he walked on a cloud. His eyes seemed to burn with fire, but not like fire of hate, but loving fire. It was awesome. I was happy. I was frightened. I was changed. I laid on the floor for eight hours, unable to get up. It was life-changing. I can't explain it. Later at a healing service, he attended a, a voice, spoke to him, said, you can do that. You're one of the disciples. And I've got a picture here of where he is in um, one of the... Uh, Islands, and he's showing an uneducated uh, un, or a illiterate person uh, not familiar with all the modern contrivances, a tape recorder. And he's showing a marvelous thing about a human voice that comes out of that tape recorder. And he did uh, healings, mostly overseas. And one time I visited, when I was a, when I was a young Christian, I visited his museum and thinking, you know, I'd see a lot of interesting things. And as I went through there, I was struck with all of the pagan idols that were in that. I left disgusted. I interrupted my visit because I knew that wasn't right. 
That wasn't. Instead of destroying those idols, promoting them, and encouraging them, and, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that. He was uh, great, but I, I don't know of any miraculous, true miracles that really occurred. But there are things that a person will say, "Oh, I'm healed," and we can accept that. And it may be a true healing, may be a true recovery. There have been many people that have been healed. There are others that lie. But when we look at new arms grown, new legs, like a lot of these uh, military men coming back, my heart goes out to them that have these uh, uh, prothesis, uh, the arms and legs and mechanical, and they have their, their legs blown off, their arms blown off, and they have to practice walking and go through all of this. And, you know, wouldn't it be great to see a true miracle where they had new arms and legs? And they were completely healed. Well, perhaps we're going to see some of that in the future as we uh, see God working to do and perform true miracles. Now, I'm not going to cover uh, any more scriptures and talk so much about the negative things of uh, false miracles and lying signs and wonders. There's a lot in the scriptures. We know that. We have to be very careful not to be deceived. We have to be very careful to see that what is happening that is a confirming of God and His Word and His will lines up with the Scriptures as we see and understand. Uh, I happen to be, uh, just one more thing, uh, watching and noticing on the, the news a particular person that's going to write, be writing a book about Jesus, the, the real Jesus. And uh, the person was interviewing him, and they were talking about uh, Noah and uh, the person uh, was rejecting the idea that that was an allegory. And the writer of the book was trying to present that this was an allegory, that this was, you, you, he was ridiculed. You mean, you mean to tell me that you believe the, that Jonah was in the belly of a whale for three days? Now listen, this man is going to write a book about Jesus. Didn't Jesus confirm Jonah? Didn't he say that the sign of my ministry and the proof of who I am, because I'm going to rise after three days and three nights, is as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so is the Son of Man going to be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And he's going to become, through the agency of God, the Father, the Spirit, and Jesus Christ himself, that miraculous awakening that only a God could do that, come to awake again after three days uncorrupted because he's spiritual and his body has been changed into, you know, they looked for it. It was gone. It wasn't there. His body was metamorphosed. It was changed into a spirit after three days and three days. This corruption put on incorruption. And uh, so I thought, oh, is this guy going to write a book about Jesus? And he doesn't even believe I had a very prominent writer, a very prominent rabbi, that I was talking to one time about Noah. And I've told you this before, about Noah and the ark and our descendants and heritage and the three lines of mankind since then and the three basic languages. Oh, he says, oh, you don't believe that. that. That's just a legend. This is a prominent writer. I'm not going to mention his name. If I told you, you would probably recognize him. 
world known, and he didn't even believe in the authenticity of the Old Testament scriptures about Noah and the ark. And this man that's going to write about Jesus doesn't even believe that he was God in the flesh. Okay, now, Jesus did approximately 40 miracles individually that are recorded, plus it says he did many other miracles and things that aren't recorded, but he did uh, miracles like uh, healing, uh, casting out demons, and dealing with the spirit world, uh, acts involving uh, miraculous alterations in nature, uh, resurrection of different individuals, and he did many other things during his ministry that aren't specified. All were for the benefit of others in his day and for lessons and examples for us to today that confirm who he was and his authenticity as the Son of God. Now, three miracles by Jesus. I'm going to look at one that he had at the beginning of his ministry, the second one right in the middle of his three and a half year ministry, and one at the close between his resurrection and ascension, right at the end of our record of him. The first one is turning water into wine, and that's in John, the second chapter. So let's turn to John, the second chapter, and I'm going to read a number of verses today just so we get the full context and then come back with some comments. So uh, John, the uh, second chapter, verse 1 through 11. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with you? My hour is not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus said unto them, Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, the governor of the feast called the bridegroom, and said unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse... But you've kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested forth his glory and his disciples believed on him. So now let's look at uh, the events as we go through here and just backtrack and, and reason kind of uh, together here a little bit. Uh, uh, it says that there was, a, the, uh, there was a marriage there in Cana of Galilee, and his mother of Jesus was there, and Jesus and the disciples were invited. So, number one, we see he is giving approval to this marriage, and uh, we don't know 
details. We don't know if it was one of his sisters, one of the family, uh, someone he knew because his mother was there and Jesus' disciples, uh, someone that they knew. You just don't go uninvited normally, show up at a wedding. You, uh, there are wedding crashers, I know, but uh, normally people of uh, sense don't show up at a wedding uninvited or uh, not extended, and, and at least knowing the couple. And so, uh, somewhat is made of this uh, phrase that Jesus said when his mother told him, came to him, you know, evidently he was there as a guest, and she said, well, they don't have any wine. And uh, when he said woman, now, in the scriptures, Jesus never called her Mary or mother. He always, several references were woman. And some make, and try to figure out, was this a rebuke, was this scolding, or was this a matter of respect, or was he just showing that he was more than just her son, that he wasn't just mother and son, but he was God in the flesh. He was God, and was she, because she knew his miraculous birth. It was miraculous. The Holy Spirit coming on her, a virgin, that's a miracle. And so his own birth was a miracle. And so she, knowing that and remembering all this, surely, you know, uh, but notice when he, when he said that to her, well, mine hour has not yet come because later he said, this is the hour, this is the time, you know, the time of his death, the time of his uh, crucifixion. That was a special hour. That was everything that he was doing was up to that very one hour when things hung on uh, the transition of life to death and what all that he did for us. So we, we know that. But verse 5, I've underlined this and starred this over the many years, and it's been a great verse. Listen to what his mother said. After he said that to her, then she said to the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Isn't that a, that is a marvelous scripture. Whatever Jesus says, do it. Didn't he say later, why do you, don't do what I say. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do my commandments? This is a marvelous verse here in uh, John 2, 5. Whatever he says, do it. Well, that's a big, tall order. Most of us as Christians, we've been trying to live our life for many, many years doing that, haven't we? Trying to follow Jesus, doing what he says and what he did and following him. And uh, then we see uh, when he told them to fill up those water jugs with uh, water, and uh, there were six of them. And then he told them to draw out. Now, I don't know, it doesn't matter really, whether the miracle occurred during the water in the firkins, the, I mean in the water pots, or when they poured it out. We don't have a recorded prayer. We don't have him calling on God. It would just, did he do this? Just, he just did it through the agency of God's Spirit. When? I don't know. As they were pouring water in, was it becoming wine? While it was in there, was it becoming wine? When they poured it out, when they poured it out, it was wine. And it was really good wine. Not grape juice. Really good wine. Because the governor knew you could get drunk on this stuff, you know. Because this is good stuff. Uh, and uh, so he tasted it. He complimented the the, the uh, uh governor of the wedding feast about the quality of the wine and bringing it out. Now, 
Verse 11, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee and manifested, look, the result of this miracle was praise, happiness, the people's needs were met at the wedding, plus a little extra. They probably had some, unless it was a lot of folks there at that wedding, six big water pots of wine. <laughs> Go a long way, won't it? You probably had some left over. Plus the extra, plus the disciples that believed. Their faith was increased. Jesus was glorified and manifested forth, made plain his glory, and his disciples believed on him. So here's the test, we can remember this, of a miracle. If we're puzzled over, is this a miracle? Is God glorified? Is his word confirmed? Are we benefited by it? Is it a good? Is there positive results? Is faith increased? Uh, we could go through the whole litany of the things that I just read here of uh, numerous uh, benefits that uh, result in a God-approved miracle. Not a phony thing. Not a trick. You know, like a magic magician. They like to do tricks. And there's a lot of trickery and there's a lot of lying and there's going to be more and more and more so that Jesus said, almost possible to deceive the very elect. So we've got to be careful about this, because this can lead a person off into how many people have been deceived by lying signs and wonders and have gone to their death believing that in a, in a lessened way of uh, conversion than maybe they would have had by, hey, that's a lie. I'm going to believe the truth. You said this. You're doing away with that. You said we don't need to keep the commandments. We don't need to do that. Jesus was just, that was just an allegory and he didn't believe it. Uh, Jesus upheld the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, thus condemning through his word. Marriages that are beginning to be accepted now. Okay, for uh, continuation of the second miracle, uh, this occurred in the middle of his uh, ministry. And what I'm going to do is there's three portions here that I'm going to read all uh, of these three portions because there's a little bit different in each uh, category is writ written from a different perspective and yet is true so that we have the, a, a fuller picture of everything. Let's go to first to Matthew the ninth chapter and this is the miracle of uh, healing the, the man with palsy and in Matthew the ninth chapter 1 through 8 and he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. We'll see later that city is Capernaum uh, by the Sea of Galilee toward the Mediterranean. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins be forgiven you. And behold, a certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think you evil in your hearts? For whether it is easier to say, Your sins be forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk. But that you may know 
that the Son of Man has power, authority, on earth to forgive sins. Then said he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up your bed, and go into your house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitudes saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. Now let's go to the next book of Mark, to the second chapter. Mark 2, 1 through 12. And again he entered into Capernaum. After some days, and it was noised abroad, or about, noised, that he was in the house. Uh, we know, apparently, this was Peter's house. And straightway, many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, your sins be forgiven you. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately... When Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Your sins be forgiven you, or to say, Arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise, and take up your bed, and go your way into your house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Now let's go to Luke, the fifth chapter, and see what Luke says about this event. Luke 5, verse 17. And uh, we know earlier that he was uh, in um, the city of uh, Capernaum. Beginning of verse 17 of Luke 5. And it came to pass on a certain day, as he was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of, Lord, of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy. And they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before, to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and led him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he, answered, he answering them said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Your sins be forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power upon earth to forgive sins, 
He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto you, Arise and take up your couch and go into your house. And immediately he rose up before them, took up the, that wherein he lay, departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We've seen strange things today. Now, let's back up to Mark, because uh, we'll, we'll just use Mark, the second chapter here, as our guide in this. Although we've seen uh, a number of the things that uh, are going on here, where he was preaching, or teaching, as I said, different ones say he was preaching, some say one says he was teaching the word. And uh, then we see that these four men, according to their faith, brought this man that was sick on the cot. They couldn't get in because of the multitude. Crowds, disciples, family, the scribes and Pharisees, the people that were questionable, you know, enemies from all around different cities. So it was really a jam-packed house. And so they tore up the roof and let this man down. And Jesus saw their faith and he recognized. Uh, and then he said to them, as we know, uh, to uh, have his sins forgiven. Well, that's easier to say, isn't it? If I could say to every one of you, your sins are forgiven. But to say, if you're handicapped and disabled, to say, get up and walk, that's harder, isn't it? It's really hard. Somebody doesn't have legs or paralyzed, to say, get up out of your bed and walk, which is easier? Well, obviously, you can't prove it whether I, your sins are forgiven or not. But he said, by telling the man to get up. Now, um, the, the, the adversaries that were there, they were questioning, you know, what Jesus was doing. Well, who can do that but God? Or, and, you know, Jesus didn't appeal to tarot cards. He didn't palm read. He didn't consult the stars. Because he knew that he had the power from God to heal that person. And what he was telling him was, his sins were forgiven, but also he said to show you that I'm God in the flesh and to show you the authority of my word that I can tell this man his sins are forgiven, take up your bed and walk. And the man got up and was healed and left out. And the result was confirmation of Jesus, confirmation of his word, confirmation that this was from God, the results, the blessings, the good, the healing that occurred, they glorified God. Now, in all of these things, of course, and I'm not stressing today the element of faith on the part of believers and the exercise of that action that's required also where a person must do something where, you know, uh, there's action either on the believer or the person involved or whatever to confirm that that uh, miracle or sign or wonder is actually taking place. But... Uh, this showed that Jesus was really uh, confirming his word through this miracle and the benefit that uh, this man received. And he was healed and he got up and walked and people were marvelous. They were amazed that we've never seen it on this manner. We've never seen anything like this. So when we see a true, wonderful miracle that is a miracle, then 
the result of confirming God and His Word and the praise and the glorification. Look at all the positive, the good things that result from that. Now, like I said, I haven't stressed our part in, uh, in belief and faith. That can be supplemental to this, and, and you know the part that that plays, very important. The third miracle, which uh, occurred by Jesus, of the many that he did, and of the about 40 that we have listed as specific miracles, uh, this is one that occurred at the end of his ministry, after his resurrection, before his ascension, and it's in John, the 21st chapter. So let's go to John 21. I hope in, in looking at these again that we're so familiar with, we'll be fortified and strengthened to be able to uh, be alert, not to be deceived, but to be appreciative and thankful for true miracles, but also to be cautious about, uh, you know, whether it's a, a real or true miracle or a false lying sign and wonder. And that's, that's another part of this message that I don't want to go into today. But I want to read in John, the 21st chapter, beginning in uh, verse 1 through verse 14. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, which was the Sea of Galilee. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathanael of Cana, Galilee, and the sons, the two sons of Zebedee, and two other of his disciples. So we have five of them named and two unnamed. We don't know, we don't know who those two were. If they were new disciples, if they were apostles, we don't know who those other two were. We can speculate all day, but Scripture doesn't tell us who they were. We just know there were seven people here uh, at this occasion. And Simon Peter, Peter said unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, Well, we also go with you. They went forth, all seven of them, and entered into a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. So they fished all night. Uh, Larry, is nighttime good fishing night for bass? Sometimes. Depends. I haven't been lately. Okay, depends. And uh, fish all night and not get anything, that can be kind of a bummer. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. And the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Kind of foggy, early in the morning, kind of misty. And they're out on the boat, out on the, on the lake, uh, with, not with Matthew, but uh, out uh, on the lake, Matthew and, and Larry. And the, maybe they were the two disciples there. <laughs> Put them in the boat with the... Okay. Uh, so they didn't recognize, but Jesus said unto them, Children... Have you any meat? They answered him, no. Now, the Greek word children means lads or young people or, as Strong says, newly converted Christians. So, so he's talking to you young believers out there, you young folks, because they were new to this way. They were old as men, but they were new. They were children in faith and belief and, and following him, and they were new and young. So you can understand that. Children... Have you any meat? No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find the right side, as opposed to the left side. The right side as correct, good, 
the right arm, the right eye, the right ear, the right hand. You know, we use this right metaphorically to show good and right. So Jesus is telling them, don't cast it on the wrong side of the ship or behind, but cast it on the right side, the correct side on the right side. Okay. Just a little play on words there. He's having a little fun with them maybe. And they cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Now, there was another incident that occurred. I won't go there, but we know at the very beginning of his ministry where they were out fishing and uh, they, uh, they caught a bunch of fish, you know, at his direction. And then the nets broke and then they had this two boatloads of fish they brought into the shore. Huge because of the intervention of Jesus and helping. Then he told them, you know, you're going to be fishers of men. Then they were left everything, it says. They left their boat. They left everything and followed him. Because they were so impressed at the miracle that he did at the beginning of his ministry when he called them. They just quit their job and says, I'm going to follow you and whatever. And they went and followed Jesus. And look at the benefit that has accrued to us for their doing that. Verse 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, we know, said unto Peter, It's the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. Uh-oh. <laughs> Larry, do you fish naked out on the lake? <laughs> Matthew, does he, does he fish naked? No. Just be careful. Don't get hooked. <laughs> what? I'm sure glad he doesn't. Yeah, Okay. Okay, see, Larry is a champion bass fisherman. That's how we can direct this to him. He's a champion, right? <laughs> you were, weren't you? Uh, he were at one, okay, the past, when you were younger. Okay. Uh, pick up the story here. Well, it didn't really mean he was naked, naked. It just mean he didn't have his outer clothes on. He was comfortable. He had his long johns on or whatever. And uh, so he, he was partially clothed. And he cast himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in a little ship. They'd gotten a rowboat. For they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits. Uh, that's a distance of about 300 feet dragging the net with fishes. As soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon and bread. Well, where in the world did Jesus get that fish? He didn't have a rod or a reel or a net. Where did he get the fish and the fire and the bread? Was he out there kneading the bread, making bread? Where did he get it? Did he bring it with him or did he created. Bread and fish and fire standing on the lake. Uh, already breakfast ready. Uh, verse 10. Jesus said unto them, Bring of the fish which you've now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land full of great fishes. A hundred and fifty-three. For all their were so many, yet was not the net broken. Several things here. Number one, it was so packed with full big fishes, the net didn't break. 
Number two, it had 153. What's the significance of 153? If you study, you can get all kinds of scenarios about uh, 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6 plus comes up to 17. 10 plus 7 is 17. Multiplied by that, you'll come to 153. Well, there's several different... I don't know if that's the answer or not. There's all kinds of equations. Uh, 3 times this, times that, times, you know, give 51 times 3. 3 times 17 is uh, 51 times 3, the Trinity, you know. Getting the Trinity in there, you'll get 53 by 3 times 51. And you can read references. I don't know. I know this. There were fish already cooking on the fire. They got a big net load and they counted them. They counted. Do you count your fish, Larry? Sometimes. <laughs> You're a sometime fisherman. <laughs> That's what you are. <laughs> Matt, do you count the fish? Yeah. yeah. And I remember you gave us some good crappie that we ate, or crappie, I mean. <laughs> Rolled in cornmeal and fried. That was good, good eating. We've been looking for some more. <laughs> okay. Uh, 153. Do you, does anybody know the equation? Why? I don't know. There's several possibilities. Uh, you can study it out and try all the different kinds of mathematical equations uh, to get up to that. Uh, for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Jesus said unto them, come and eat, come and dine. Oh yeah, probably had some napkins and plates and everything else. Or didn't know they ate. You usually eat fish by your hands, Larry? Sometimes. <laughs> okay. Thank you for letting me pick on you today, Larry. Uh, and Matt. And none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then comes and takes bread and gives them and fish likewise. This is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. Now, let's skip over to... Uh, first, I want to show you the results of this miracle. We're so familiar with this, and I've already shared some of the things with you. His presence was there, instructing them, teaching them, blessing them, blessing their work, bringing to success the physical things that they were doing, showing that the secular work that they were doing of fishing was answered by the miraculous draft of his intervention and uh, that confirming that, you know, they were successful fishers, they could certainly be successful fishers of men. So we could take a lot of this uh, uh, deeper instruction and consideration of uh, this. And also part of it was maybe, because later, and I won't go into that, but, you know, when he has his private interview with Peter later, about loving me, loving me, loving me, you know, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. You go into that. I've gone into that before. Because Peter was there, and he used that occasion then to lead right into some personal direction for Peter in his uh, ministry uh, in the future. Now, and while we're here in Acts, let's go to verse 24. This is the disciple, that's John, which testifies of these things. 
and wrote these things. And we know that his testimony is true. And there were also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. I, I get so impressed when I go to Gardner's Bookstore or I go to uh, Mardell's or go to the library, you know, and I, and I frequent these uh, places um, and through my life, you know. And I've been to the Library of Congress in Washington, D.C., sat there, requested some books. They brought me some books I've looked at that were out of print that were in the Library of Congress there in Washington, D.C., and looked through them and appreciated that great blessing and opportunity to do that. And you know, I'm so awed that this mental brain up here can't contain all the things that are written in all those books. And just think, City Library, Tulsa Library downtown, by the way, I guess they're remodeling and moving and whatever, but if you've been down on those several floors, if everything Jesus did and said was written down, be more than in those books down there. What a marvelous, wonderful person he was. Everything he did and said that is to enrich and for the benefit, not for just himself, but for others, and, and confirmed and proved who he was, that wonderful, marvelous Savior that, that we have. In Acts, the first chapter, verse 1. And, uh, Brian, I, I might have skipped over some scriptures or left some out that, that I gave you the list on, but we'll, 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 we're okay. We're just going to close with this here. So a few things I've got written down. Acts 1, 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus. This was Luke writing, because Luke is the author the writer of the book of Acts, and he wrote the, what we call the Gospel of Luke. So Luke is the writer here. Of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. Now what I get out of this is that Jesus is still today doing and teaching. He began and it didn't end. So all that Jesus began to do and to teach, He is continuing to do and to teach today. His miracles will confirm His Word and His ministers. We need to walk in the same spirit, purpose, faith, like Paul. Paul did this, we know from the example, and the results were realized in those miracles that he did and the wonderful things that we have from the life of Paul in addition to the life of Jesus. So if Jesus began to do and to say, we can expect him to continue to do and, and to teach the same things today. Not change his word, not change his practice. Now, miracles. Let me read again the definition. We'll go back to my notes here. And like I said, the dictionary definitions will agree with the Hebrew and with the Greek, especially the Greek because we spent so much time in the New Testament. What is a miracle? An event or effect in the physical world deviating from the known laws. Now, 
I'm not comparing the spiritual world because, you know, everything that's going on there is wonderful and is spirit and is happening. It's not a miracle because then God would have to look to some other source. But he is, everything that's going on there, it's not what we're concerned about. We're concerned about the physical things on this world and the deviating from the known laws of nature. And you can go check out laws and you can check out laws of nature and you can uh, follow through with signs and miracles and wonders and, and do a lot of search on your own. But uh, these, uh, this transcending our knowledge of the laws, that's from Webster's Dictionary and then from American Dic Heritage Dictionary again, an extraordinary or unusual event that is considered to be a manifestation of divine or supernatural power. So, a miracle includes the divine or supernatural acting by God to produce that special extraordinary event. The result is that God is glorified and not ourselves. The benefit to mankind, His word is confirmed as true the spiritual lessons and teachings in that miracle, there are accompanying lessons that we can glean about God and His way, His purpose and His plan from that. It's not just a, a, something that happened, but it is a, a teaching situation. So true miracles are for us today. Expect them 